The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. This is episode number 202. My name is Joni Siegel. I'm the host for this podcast. My husband, Steve Siegel, is the producer for this podcast. When a person is addicted to drugs and or alcohol, the myriad of choices of treatment can be overwhelming. Narconon Ojai is a residential treatment facility that addresses the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction with a proven, holistic, drug-free, evidence-based, step-by-step program to free those trapped by addiction. For more information, call 866-231-5924. Today we have an interview with two people on the podcast. We have a mother who has her history of addiction and a son who also has his history of addiction. I think that this will give quite a different perspective to the whole area of addiction and when you have a a spouse or not a spouse but a child who is addicted. We will be talking today to Laura and Tom Bolt. They are authors, they are podcasters, they are from St. Louis, Missouri. Let's talk to Laura and Tom Bolt. Laura and Tom Bolt. Thank you both for being willing to come on the podcast and tell your story. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you for for having us. Thank you for having us. Absolutely. I would like to start with Laura because based on what I read, you have your own story of addiction. Can you take me kind of back to the beginning and tell me what that was? Absolutely. So I grew up in a family of um, alcoholics. I knew growing up that my goal in life was not to be that person, not to be that alcoholic. I wasn't going to be that. I was going to be better and healthier. And um, my mother did eventually uh, go to rehab and she was in the program successfully and uninterrupted for about 16 years before she passed away. So it's never too late. Um, I, uh, went through the usual high school, partied, college, partied, partied a lot, moved to New York city, partied even more. And by that, I mean, I experimented with every single drug you can possibly imagine, um, and dangerous drugs, but my drug of choice was really alcohol. It was, you know, any kind of wine. I didn't really particularly like hard liquor, but, um, it was wine. When I lived in New York, I feel like I justified my drug or my alcohol use by saying that drugs were really uh, something that I was able to give up. And I was, I, I realized that they were dangerous and they didn't really work out with my healthy lifestyle, but um, meaning I like to work out. I like to tear, take care of myself. I, I'm not going to be that addict. I'm not going to be that alcoholic. So I'm just going to drink wine. And uh, that is one of the the interesting things about addiction. We can always swap something for another and and dress it in any way we want to. But for me, it's addiction. And 
you know, in, in living in New York, I, I stopped doing drugs. I, I figured that alcohol was really just my drug of choice. I moved back to St. Louis. I met my husband, my soon to be husband, and it seemed to somewhat go dormant. The amount of quantities of, of wine that I was drinking, we got married. He's, he's an incredible man. I had four children and I wasn't going to be that mother. Mm-hmm. And I would say with the first, the birth of the first three sons uh, that were born very close together, that I didn't really have time to drink. I, um, you know, I had kids everywhere. I, I, okay, I yeah, That makes me laugh because no, you don't have time to do much of anything when you have little kids. <laughs> oh, you don't. And also when you experience one hangover, it's a waste of an entire day and you've got kids running around. It just didn't seem to work out that, that drinking was what it was when I was living in New York or what it would become after I had my fourth son, which was six years after my third son, I noticed that the volumes that I was drinking, the um, reaction and effects of alcohol with me were very alcoholic. Uh, And by that, I mean, I I do have a great sense of humor and I do do crazy things and I do have a funny drunk along. But as a 45, 48 year old woman swinging from rafters and hijacking snow caps and grooming the slopes of Vail, uh, may seem fun, uh, but it's out of hand. I have, you know, four children to take care of. Um, what seemed to be funny over a period of years became less funny. Uh, my behavior became more, um, or my drinking became more isolated. Uh, by that, I mean, I would drink more at home, not necessarily in the day, but I certainly, um, would arrange carpool and driving my children around my drinking, which in itself is sort of a red flag. Um, <clears throat> the the drinking. Laura, I want to I want to just stop you for one second and, sure. and Tom, I have a, I have just have a quick question for you, um, and you'll have to unmute your mic. You're where do you fall in the four boys? Are you in the middle? Are you the youngest, oldest? Where do you fall? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest. Yes. Okay. So when your mom was going through what she's talking about, were you aware of it? Did you, I mean, you may not have known what it was, but were you aware of it at all? I mean, looking back on it now, it makes sense. But in the beginning of it, I I wasn't really aware of anything in particular that was wrong. Uh, I just thought it was kind of normal. I mean, we had a lot of fun together. (laughs) We did. We had a lot of fun together. And um, so I didn't really realize exactly what was going on. I mean, I don't think anybody can really understand internally, even if the outside, um, you know, looks good. I don't think that anybody can really understand what's going on internally. No, no, no. And I understand that. I just meant did yeah. you like think, wow, my mom's a little sillier than other moms or whatever? I don't know. I was just curious if there, if as a child, you might notice that. I remember very distinctly, my parents drank every day. They had a cocktail every day, but they only had one. But I remember very distinctly when my mother was drunk, when they had a party. And I, I mean, I was, I was, how old was I? I think I was 10, but I remember going like, whoa, my mom 
is kind of my mom's over the legal limit. I could tell that, you know, and she, uh, that's the only time I remember seeing that, but I definitely remember seeing it. So that was, that was my question. Just did you observe it at all? I mean, I did. There, there were a couple instances. Um, I mean, there was one instance in particular where, um, there was a knock on the door and I went to go answer the door and her sister dropped her off and, uh, opened the door and was like, she's your problem now. And I was like, what is going on? And, uh, my mom was, you know, visibly drunk. Um, how old were you, Tom? I don't know how old I was at that point. I don't just curious, maybe 12, 13, something like that. Okay. Something along those lines. Yeah. Fair enough. So, Laura, I'll let you get back to your story. I was just curious, okay. you know, whether it was something that Tom had observed or not. Anyway, well, something that will come, come into light here after talking to both of us, which I'll tell you is we neither one of us are a glum lot, which is a saying in the program of recovery we're in. And I'm pretty crazy and, and, and wild uh, within normal ranges, if you can call it normal, as a sober person. So I was always kind of a fun, spunky mom, sober or not. But what happened to me is that the, as I said, the volumes of alcohol that I was drinking were, had increased. The effects had become a little bit more uh, sick in terms of my isolating and arranging all my uh, driving of my children um, to different sports and games and and things like that. Um, I had gotten to a point where I'd go out with girlfriends for uh, dinner and inevitably somebody would always follow me home because they thought I had too much to drink. Heaven forbid they would ask for my keys. Um, but that's just what they did. And, uh, nobody had really talked to me about it until a few months prior to my, uh, quitting drinking. And that was my husband. My husband grew up in a family, not of alcoholics, but with a father who, started a 12-step rehab, 30-day rehab program in St. Louis, which was affiliated with a hospital. And he did that because he had a friend. He was a physician, but he had a friend that couldn't string together a day or two of continuous sobriety. So he and a priest and another friend started this 30-day treatment uh, program based on the 12 steps. It was quite successful. So my husband grew up with the language of recovery and the language of addiction in his household, just from what he learned from his father. So my husband was extremely compassionate and um, I think probably very tired of my drinking. I'm not a garden variety alcoholic, but I I think that when you live with someone that's an alcoholic, it doesn't mean that they're going out and making scenes all the time. It's just easy, was easy for him to see how I had just gotten worse in my addiction I'd have a bottle open in the bar, which is out off the family room. I'd had a bottle open in the, in the kitchen. I didn't hide it from the respect that I didn't hide the bottles, but I would drink from both of them and, and thinking I would trick somebody, I suppose. Um, and it was, it was more and more a um, evening ritual for me. Uh, I hadn't gotten into the day drinking, but that's only a question of time with addiction. I mean, it's a progressive and fatal disease, whether you drink or not. So when my husband confronted me with, um, and when I say confront, he asked me one night after I had been drinking, do you feel that you, your drinking is in control? Do you feel like you could control it? If you, if you, can you stop? Do you feel like you're drinking more? And I actually started to cry because he was so kind about it. I realized 
I knew uh, two years prior, I was in trouble. So um, it, it was a very effective conversation. But then of course that did, wasn't enough for me to stop. We love our kids, we love our family. We know we wanna live this healthy life, but addiction is so baffling, powerful, cunning, um, that in, in as much as I thought, gosh, I need to quit for my kids, did I really want to quit? Did I know how? Well, yes, I saw my mother get sober. Yes, I knew about 12-step programs, but I had to go out and do some more field work. And when I did that, which means I went out and I kept drinking, I got into a horrific car accident. And uh-huh. the day after my car accident, I realized that um, I, I basically had an epiphany. I mean, I, I realized that what I perceive as my higher power was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. I finally listened. I was scared straight. I was scared shitless. I thought, I don't remember the accident. I didn't have to go to the hospital that the night of the accident. I drove the car home after I crashed it. I didn't remember where I crashed it. The car was totaled. Um, I was scared to death. I was, um, I thought I could have died. I could have killed somebody. It was a very serious reality for me that I had come to this place where I can't go on like this anymore. I just can't. And there there's your point of no return. That's my, yes. So that's, and, uh, that's, that's my story in a very abbreviated version. Okay. Well, I'm going to pick on you now, Tom, I'm going to have you talk about your history with, alcohol and or drugs and tell us your story and then we'll put them together. Okay. <laughs> sort of, yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know when to start. I, I mean, um, I don't know. Growing up, I always, you, you know, it obviously runs in the family and um, I always felt kind of out of place uh, growing up. I had a hard time in school and uh, with bullying and, and stuff in a, in a couple of different schools that I went to. Um, and uh, what happened is I, I switched schools because the bullying got so bad. I switched, ended up switching schools. And um, I found- How old were you, Tom? This Sorry. was, this was uh, I had to have been 14 or 15 years old. Uh, 14 probably when I switched. Uh, so it was like sixth grade sixth or seventh grade. Okay. Um, and I switched to a public school and I found a, a, a group of people that I like to hang out with there and was accepted very quickly. And, uh, they were the partying type. <laughs> and, uh, so I started, I started off with, a a hookah, uh, smoking tobacco and then, uh, quickly, um, graduated to marijuana and um drinking too and i remember uh drinking for the first time and all of my kind of fears and insecurities and everything kind of just disappeared and um i liked that a lot i know if i want to jump back to the first time i ever had anything in my system i was when i was getting bullied um, previously I was like terrified to go to school. Um, and it was like a Sunday night and, uh, I didn't know how to calm down. My mom didn't know how to calm me down. And so I took a, uh, a Valium 
and uh, just fell right asleep. Everything went away. So that was kind of in my head um, that something like that could kind of take that stuff away. Right. So when I got into high school and I had the opportunity to take a pill or, or anything, I kind of jumped at the opportunity because I knew that it would kind of give me some relief. And it just um, progressed quickly for me. So I started taking the stuff every day. I mean, if it was Xanax or cocaine or basically anything that I could get my hands on. Um, and I started doing that stuff more and more and more. And um, the I'm concert- sorry, you said this was high school, right? Yeah, this is high school. And yeah. so, and are you getting the drugs from your friends? Is that... Um... So I'm getting the drugs from, at this point, I'm getting the drugs from friends and um, parties. I would raid medicine cabinets at house parties <laughs> and uh, just kind of look stuff up on my phone and see what it did and then take that. And um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of where it was in high school. Um, after high school, you know, more consequences started to happen. I mean, I started getting in a lot more fights. Um, I was starting to have more and more blackouts. Um, I was getting in trouble with the law. Um, my anxiety and depression and that was all getting worse, even though I was doing this, you know, doing drugs on a daily basis. Right. Um, and it just got, it just got pretty bad. I mean, I was doing things that I never thought I would do. And I think, you know, the point of no return for me, um, I had, I went out one night on Halloween night and, um, I, I had had worse nights than this in the past. Um, but I ended up getting in a couple of fights and, um, I threw a coworker over a balcony and he, uh, we got into a little fight and, and I accidentally tossed him over a balcony and he landed on his head. And I thought I, I thought I had killed him. Honestly. I mean, I, I looked over the railing and he wasn't moving and I was like, Oh God, what did I just do? And he ended up being okay. Um, but I woke up the next morning and I had, you know, broken my hand from a fight and I had chipped teeth from a fight and I had blood on me and I woke up and I was just like, I can't, I cannot do this anymore. Like I am ready to either die or something needs to happen. And I, I knew that my mom uh, was sober at the time and I didn't know if that was going to be the route for me or not, but I hadn't tried wholeheartedly that direction so i went to her and i just said i need help i'll do anything right well i'm glad your friend was okay that i mean how many floors did you toss him down uh, it was a second story i think so it went okay. over yeah it wasn't you know it wasn't third or fourth okay thing, but <laughs> okay still it was enough to God. you know knock him out and understood understood yeah. laura did you have any idea when he was doing the drugs in college did you have any idea what was going on I did, but not to the extent that I learned after he got mm. sober and even learned more when we wrote our book together. 
You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com or call us at 727-314-7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. I was somewhere in between denial, codependency, and reality. I knew that he was experimenting and I would write it off to, ex, ex, you know, just experimenting. Um, but I, I was afraid. And I noticed that a lot of things took place um, in his life in high school and college. For example, he's an incredible athlete and he was on the tennis team and he got kicked off the tennis team for insubordination. And he got asked to be back on the tennis team he made varsity as a freshman, got asked to be back on the tennis team and he declined. His life was becoming more and more lethargic and he was becoming more and more distant and more mysterious. And I also looked through his room and I found little pills that I identified as, as morphine. Um, and that was in college, not in high school. And I was right. absolutely terrified. I was, I was terrified. So I confronted him about it and he said, oh, that's from... For example, that was from my accident. Um, he did get into a pretty bad motorcycle accident. And of course, back then, opiates were plentiful. You yep. didn't have to get them from a drug dealer. You get them from your doctor and as many as you want. And especially if you keep re-breaking your arm. So I did see the pattern. Um, as I wrote in my book, um, there was a point uh, towards the end before he got sober where I thought, I know what we could do to keep him from doing drugs. We could send him on a sailing trip. And that way he'll be out of the country and he won't be able to do drugs. I mean, I don't know what planet I, I grew up on. I, I'm not sure either. I'm not, I, I'm, I, I, I'm having trouble thinking with that, Laura. I, I mean, it was, but, it was ridiculous. I mean, I'm like, I am such an enabler. <laughs> and uh, we, we tried that. We tried talking to him. Tom and I did, my husband. The sailing um, trip did not work, by the way. I, 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 could, I could have told you that, and I wasn't there, and I'm going to bet the sailing trip didn't I work. I took a lot of pills with me, and there was a lot of alcohol flowing on that trip. So That was a, a big parenting malfunction on my part. Um, 
Laura, I want to stop you just for a second because I want you to I want you to express this a little bit more. You said you were afraid. What were you afraid of? I was afraid he was going to die. Okay. I was afraid that the thing beneath the thing for me is that I was afraid he was going to die. Now, okay. if you would ask me in high school what I was afraid of as opposed to college, I was afraid of how it all looked. It's like, oh, uh, we're the perfect family. Uh, I've got everything under control. It's all about how you look. You know, our, our clearly our insides didn't match our outsides uh, because we looked good, but we right. didn't act right. And um, it's but the fear did evolve into sincere fear of him getting into a terrible car accident and dying, uh, which was my own fear for myself, which is why I got sober. Right. Tom, did you did when you decided that like after you threw your friend off the balcony. Sorry for referring to that again. But no, when, that, when you woke up the next morning, did you call your mom? Did you approach your mom? Did you see if she could help you? What did you do then? Yeah, I, I did. I approached her and said, I think, I can't remember exactly how the conversation went. I think she's, she just asked me, she's like, oh, how are you doing? What happened, you know, uh, to your hand? Why is there blood, you know? And I just kind of answered the questions and then, was just said, I need help. And she said, okay. I said, I'll try anything. And so she gave me a list of um, treatment centers to call. And um, I called and picked one and they said, well, you don't, uh, we don't have a bed for about four days. So keep doing what you're doing and come then. And I was like, oh, God, you know, just because I wanted to go right then and there. And I actually was at that point, like, didn't want because if I didn't use like I would have like I would get sick. Right. So, so just stay sober and be sick for four days and yeah. then we'll get you in. No, they, I, no, they told okay. me they told me to keep using for four days. <laughs> That's uh, Yeah, great. That's even better. Wow. So that I didn't get sick because I was I was using at a level to where if I stopped, like I could have seizures and. Okay. It was a medical right. kind of issue. So, but I still didn't want to. Right. <laughs> I was like, I have to, but I don't want to. And that sucked. Um, and I, I do to, want to say that good on you for reaching out and getting help. You know, so many, so many people that we talk to, they, you know, they have to have an intervention. So, you know, before they actually will get help. And at least you realized you needed it. So well yeah. done you. An intervention wouldn't have gone well for me. I can tell okay. you that. Me either. Yeah, I would have taken off running and it would have lasted probably a lot longer than allowing myself to the, get to the point to where I wanted to get help, which is a scary thing because not everybody stays alive to do that. Exactly. Okay. So you did, you used for four days and then did you get into the rehab? I did. I did. I was super excited to go too because I was so high when I got there. <laughs> I was. I, I had taken the rest of everything I had and was like, "All right, of course, yes, yeah, course you did. <laughs> I'm ready." And uh, you know, our sponsor is a treatment facility, and we have in the past had um, a, a staff member from there. And uh, he said, nine times out of ten, when someone comes in, they're high because they want the last hurrah before they know they're not going to get high anymore. So I understand. Then they can segue, exactly. right? Exactly. And I, yep. Yeah. Well, I woke up. I woke up the next morning. And was like, oh shit. 
what did I get myself into, you know? And um, it took, you know, everything in me to stay there. Um, it really did. I mean, I was not feeling it. I was not, not happy. Um, but for some reason, I stayed. I remember talking to another guy there. I said, I know. I don't know if I can stay here, man. Like, I don't think that I can do this. He was like, he said, it gets better every day. And I don't know why I listened at that point because I hadn't listened to anybody in the past, you know, and I listened to him and it's like, all right, well, let's see how tomorrow is. And it did. It got better every day. It really did. Wow. So how long have you been sober now? Oh, I got sober November 6, 2012. So a little over eight years. Well, well done. Because yeah. I you. know it's not easy. It's just not. And you, Laura, how long have you been sober? A little over 12 years. And coincidentally, wow. we both had our last huge, huge hurrah on Halloween. <laughs> so not okay. only are we alike in personality, we're alike in addiction. And we have the same demise on Halloween. Wow. Yeah. So, so what made you guys decide to write the book? What I, I'm going to segue right into the book because yeah. y'all told your story. What made you decide to do that? I wanted either to one, do either it. Either one of you. Sorry, I was supposed to say who's <laughs> you go first, Tom. Yeah, I wanted to do it. I I kind of oh, it was. I think I probably had three or four years at the time, and I looked back and said, you know, mom, we have a pretty good, a pretty cool story. Like we should write a book. And she said, no, no, I don't want to do anything like that. And I kept pushing it every couple months, every four or five months. And finally she said, okay, let's do it. And so we just dove right in and started, it took us three and a half years mm -hmm. It did to do it. Um, well, I love that you were willing to do that because, you know, you, you have said so many things we've talked about on the podcast, Laura, in that, you know, there is a, there's a stigma attached to addiction. And so that, so there is, there's a fear, you know, of, you know, letting your friends know that your child is addicted or that you've had a problem, do you know? And I think that that, I, I hope that people listening will understand the problem of addiction is way bigger than what you look like and your reputation and your reputation's not going to kill you, but addiction can kill you. So, you know, you have to put things in perspective, you know, okay. Yeah. My kid. Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm, I know I'm preaching to the choir because I know you finally arrived there. So yeah, but just well done for being willing to share. It's very interesting to me that after I got sober, somebody would hear that I was sober and they'd say, oh, how are you doing? And I thought, why didn't you ask me that five years ago when I was drunk? <laughs> you know, I'm great. This is awesome. It, it was so funny because, um, you know, and also I think too, um, having grown up in a family with alcoholics and with the conversation and with the sober mother, it allowed me to be okay with being vulnerable uh, so that I was actually okay with uh, sharing my story. It was all right. It, and um, I was 48 years old when I got sober. I'm 61 right now. And mm -hmm. I think the courage really comes 
to, to light with Tommy, who was 21 when he got sober, and he's, he's going to be 30 years old. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me how much he really wanted to write this book. And I thought, well, you know, I was an undergraduate, undergraduate English major. I guess I could tackle this. I'm not an author. And we, I tell people this story. We, we, the first nine months, we had a whole different book going. And I read it. And Tommy goes, Mom, it's okay. And I thought, this is the worst book I've ever read. So we, we tossed it and we started over. And um, because really, it's all about really getting deep and acknowledging your dark darkness and acknowledging that you're human, acknowledging the demons you fight, the trauma that you might have encountered, and the real human things that happen to people uh, in life and in addiction. And we just got very human with the whole whole process. I think you're absolutely right, because the people that are listening, whether they listen to your podcast or our podcast, they have similar demons and they have similar things going on. And our hope has always been when we tell a story like yours, that someone listening goes, oh, I have that. I should get help. You know, just to go back to what you were talking about, Laura, when your friends were asking how you were when you were sober, we had a woman on the podcast um, a couple of years ago, and she um, she was a functioning functioning alcoholic, and she was a mom, um, and she took a few pills. And when she told her friends she was going to go to rehab, they said, well, you don't need rehab. You're just taking a few pills and drinking every day. You know, and uh, I've told that story so many times because... Fortunately, she did go to rehab, do you know? But that, but that's part of the, you know, and I think, I think sometimes, anyway, I just think this area is difficult for people to confront, you know? Tom, you confronted it, your own addiction, and, you know, now you're sober and for eight plus years. And Laura, you confronted yours, and addiction, which eh, is kind of acceptable, you know? People drink every day, Right. But not not so much when it becomes an addiction. Do you know? It's say the name of. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. Excuse me. No, no you, please go. You, no, no, no. You go ahead. I, I'll let you talk. <laughs> well, it's it's one of these things where so some of my friends may have witnessed uh, alcoholic behavior, and some of them didn't see me enough to witness alcoholic behavior. Some people were surprised. But the bottom line is, how do you feel personally? Is it affecting right. your your marriage, your job? your sex life, your relationship with your family, with yourself, your high, and, and where's your faith? So these are all things that are interrupted during addiction. And yeah. as much as we don't want to see that, and we can't, and even at that point, we might not even be able to look in the mirror and look at ourselves, right? But we know it's there and we know it's there for a while before we do anything about it. If we're lucky enough to be able to do anything about it, it can look very benign on the outside. But when I, the first person I met with after my car accident was somebody in the program who helped my mother. And they said, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody's reaction is, or if they think you are, or you aren't, what matters is what are you doing to take care of yourself? How are you going to do it? And yeah. it was very good advice. The other advice I got too, when I, when I woke up and I saw my car crash and I'm sitting in the car calling somebody who I knew in the program. And he said, Never forget how you feel right now. Mm -hmm. Forgive yourself, but never forget how you feel. Because every time you're encountered with the romanticism of having another drink, 
bring recall that and take it full circle where would that where would you end up well i know where i'd end up probably yep. dead yep yeah tom do you have a family now of your own uh i have a um amazing girlfriend she has a a three-year-old daughter three and a half year old daughter and we okay. live together so that's you my have family. A family of your own exactly <laughs> What would yeah. you take from your experience to help raise this little girl? What would you teach her? I don't think that um, I would really treat it. That's a good question. You know, I, I think I would just present the facts, um, you know, of what alcohol and drugs can do and just to be aware because the really, if somebody is an alcoholic or, or an addict, then there's really nothing that you can do to prevent them from having their own experience. You know, it's like you can't yeah. lock them up and, you know, you have you to let them live their life. You can't be with them 24-7, yeah. Exactly. There's, yeah. A, there's yeah. a part of, that's what life is. You have to go through and you have to figure stuff out on your own. And But, but you I can, think you put the nail on the head is that if you educate her, not that morally it's wrong, but more, this is what long-term drug use can do to your body, to your mind, to your relationships, to your moral code. This is what, you know, long-term alcohol use or drug use, you know, if you educate her on the facts and there are enough facts now that you can do that, she makes an educated decision. As you say, you can't be with her 24 seven and you can't lock her up. I can almost guarantee if you locked her up, you'd probably have the other effect. So, but thank you. That, <laughs> yeah. But that, but you know, it's, it's a good point. And I think, you know, if we can, if we can do more education at the front end, I think we'll be better off across the boards with hopefully preventing it. So tell me about your book. What's the name of the book? How do people get it? The book is called Unraveled and it is available. We have a website, unraveledthebook.com. So we, we will take uh, the Addiction Podcast and download that to our website. People can listen to that. They can also um, access certain places to buy the book. We have links. You can, you can buy the book on Amazon, but what we hope people might consider is supporting their local mom and pop shops and, and local bookstores <laughs> because they can be ordered from those. Uh, so that is our book. It is a a mother and son story of addiction and redemption. And uh, it's just what an incredible process. I think about the opportunity to have written that book with my son in a sober frame of mind, and it just doesn't get any better than that. You know, you're right. And I get chills as you say that, Laura, because, um, you know, we just interviewed a mom who lost her son to addiction, and you are so fortunate and so blessed not only that you can write the book together, but that he's still here. Yes. You know, you're not writing a book about him. You know, you're able to write a book with him. I can't tell you guys how much I admire you for, um, you know, becoming sober. I know it's not easy. I, we've talked to enough people that we know it's not easy and staying sober 
and you know moving it moving ahead tom you especially with a you know with your own family i i think that's that's incredible and before we go you have a podcast where's your podcast how do people find your podcast well we haven't launched our podcast oh, okay. it's the unraveled okay. podcast. podcast we have okay. done a few interviews and we're stockpiling them so we can start releasing them and okay. uh, that can also be uh the link will be on our website unraveledthebook.com which gives okay. a little bit of a biography about us as well. You know, one of the things we're worried about, which I know comes up in most podcasts, is that right now with COVID and isolation, it's very hard for people to um, feel comfortable uh, because they can't walk into a meeting of recovery, whatever that might be. But there are meetings on Zoom. I think that addiction is one of the, the biggest problems we face in this country, even when you think I'm all the other crazy would, stuff going on. I would say the biggest. It's it, bigger than COVID. It's, it, it, it was is. here before COVID. It'll be here after COVID. That's right. Eh. We That's just look right. at the numbers during COVID. I mean, yeah. the numbers of mental health, uh, the hotline numbers have been overloaded. The amount of suicides have like doubled. Um, I think they did. They released a statistic saying that 40% of all Americans um, have said that they are struggling with some sort of mental illness during this time, which is a huge it. number. I believe it. And I mean, and, the, and, the yeah. most important thing, Joni, I think is for people to really hear that there is hope. I mean, yep. Tommy in the book said, quote unquote, if Bolt can get sober, that's his last name, <laughs> anyone can get sober. And I say for, for a woman, for me personally, and a mother who's, who's has to deal with the challenges of work, kids, husband, social life. I am an alcoholic. And uh, there, I could never imagine giving up my red wine ever, but it interfered with my life. It was mm -hmm. detrimental to me. And, and it's a, listen, it's a cunning, power, powerful, baffling and, and fatal disease. Yep. And um, there's hope. If I can do it, any, any five o'clock uh, wine o'clock, person can do it. And I there mean, it. there is hope. Yep. And if Tom can do it, anybody can do it. You guys are awesome. I cannot thank you enough. Um, I would say launch your podcast sooner rather than later, because people need to hear what you're doing and they need, and you know, you're right that during this whole COVID thing, you know, people can't go to meetings and I think people are relying more and more on podcasts mm -hmm. and, um, it's a, it's a great medium. We're almost done with our fourth year and I wish you the best of luck with it. And listen, you guys, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I cannot thank you enough. Well, thank, thank you for you. having us on. Yeah. Thank you, Jody, so much. It's really, uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining us today for the podcast. This podcast makes me happy because we have a mom who's recovered and her son who's recovered and um, you know, they both live to tell their story and that's what we want for everybody listening. And so I know I sound like a broken record and y'all probably just cut off the end of the podcast. So you don't have to hear me say it again, but if you're addicted, you need to get help and you need to do it now and don't wait. And if you have a loved one that's addicted, you need to get them into treatment now and don't wait. If you can't get them to agree to treatment, 
we have, if you go back to the middle of this podcast, we have an interventionist who advertises on our podcast every week. And he has an over 90% success rate with getting people into treatment. So there are resources available for you and there's all different kinds of treatment. So no excuses. This is 2021. You need to get help for you or your loved one. And we will be back again next week. You have been listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narcanon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.